morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to start off our Good Friday service this morning, worshipping our incredible God. So come, will you join me as we sing? Calvary has bought for me 
both now and forever. Sing it, church.
my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 to 4. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. Isaiah 50 verses four through seven. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue 
to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah 53, 1-12 Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors.
lost and weary souls, wandering, wandering, souls without a home, pondering, pondering, fighting, what they looking for, looking for what, they're not sure, sheep without a shepherd, prey to wolves, always coming second or last, dying fast, searching, hurting, close to giving up, dull in the pain, why they try to live it up, broken and numb, souls that are deaf and dumb, where they gonna go, what's around the next bend in road, it's an ache in my brain, my soul is being drained, leaking away like someone severed a main vein, I'm calling number one, stick out your thumb, hitch a ride to kingdom come, heal the riffle, we're all done, stop. Embracing pain, wallowing in their own shame, clinging to each other like children in cold rain, looking for a saviour but never admitting it, like trying an old shoe when your foot doesn't fit in it. Lost and weary souls, wondering, wondering, souls without a home, pondering, pondering, sheep without a shepherd, pray to wolves, is there any way out, is God calling us home? and a saviour, a son from above who poured out his life in an act of supreme love, a sacrifice, a way to bring us home. He chose a bloody cross, forsook his glorious throne. He embraces our darkness. He draws us all near, cleanses us all of this in which we're smeared. Broken bread and broken body, a cup full of wine, a death on a cross, a sacrifice which transcends time and space, redeeming a broken race, bridging a gap, breaking the teeth of the trap, crushing the serpent's head, forgiving as his blood runs red, crying out with his last breath, conquering sin and death. Wary death is your victory, wary death is your sting. Watch the children of God arise clean, alive and sing. He ain't no teacher, he's the king.
tells us in his gospel in chapter 22 verse 7 then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed and Jesus sent Peter and John saying go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover where do you want us to prepare for it they asked he replied as you enter the city a man carrying a jar of water will meet you follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house the teacher asks where is the guest room where may i eat the passover with my disciples and he will show you a large room upstairs all furnished make preparations there and they left and they found things just as jesus had told them So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood, which is poured out for you.
You took the altar and made it a table. Nothing can separate what you bring together now and forever. How beautiful the mystery Christ my hope alive in me And worthy, worthy, worthy I'm caught up in the glory Of all that you are And all that you've done Jesus the Lamb what a savior you took the altar and made it a table nothing can separate what do you bring together Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 47. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. 
Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those standing near heard this. They said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain 
on the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph and Salome. And in Galilee, these women had followed him and called, cared for his needs. And many women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. And so as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth and he took down the body and he wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Sinners in 
is not just the author of life, not just the author of our salvation, not just the author of the cosmos, but think about this, is the author of time itself. And like an author is outside every work that they create. God himself is outside of time. God dwells in eternity. That's why when John was transported to heaven in his amazing visions in the book of Revelation, he sees God on the throne and Jesus, the Lamb of God, as the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. The eternal God, the eternal God that is outside of time. God dwells in the eternal now. Physicists tell us, and there's probably some in the room who know this subject far better than I, that if you were to get in a spaceship and if it was possible to do so and and travel past the speed of light, then a couple of interesting things would happen to you. The first interesting thing is that your weight, the mass of your body and the weight would exponentially increase and you would take on an infinite weight. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So next time you don't fit in your jeans, just say to someone, I'm traveling fast. The second thing that physicists tell us, since it's never been tested, it remains a hypothesis, is that if I could travel at the speed of light and look back to planet Earth, then every single thing happening in human history would be compressed as time speeds up relative to my position. And if I look back, I would see everything happening in human history compressed into one moment called by physicists the eternal now. And God who is outside of time can look, as the the Scriptures say, that God is light, that God is beyond time, that God is eternal. He is the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. And He can look down on planet Earth and He can survey all the gamut of human history. And Good Friday is the day where the timeless God of eternity pierces history with His love, like His hands and His feet and His side and His head were pierced with those nails and that spear and those thorns. And the God of eternity breaks into history in what historians call the scandal of historical particularity. That God 
would enter human history and be found to subject himself to the laws that he created. God who dwells in majestic glory in heaven where the streets are paved with gold and we are surrounded by a throng of angels that the Bible says is a myriad and a myriad and 10,000's time, 10,000 angels around the throne casting their crowns saying, you alone are worthy God. And He left heaven where those streets were paved with gold and came to planet earth where the streets are paved with dirt and manure and He entered into the bloodstream of humanity. It's the scandal of historical particularity. And Jesus Christ came to reveal God to us. I love the U2 song that our team wonderfully sung for us. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I'll tell you why I love that song because and I think, and I, I noticed even in church, rather than be offended that we sang a, a non-religious song, people started singing along. And I think that the prophet Bono, <laughs> term used loosely, I think that the prophet Bono tapped into the angst of the search of a human being. Because every single one of us has scaled city walls, haven't we? Every single one of us, we feel like we've got times in our life where we've held the hand of the devil, where we've kissed tender lips, but where we've been as cold as stone and where our desire has burned within us. I love Good Friday celebrations. It's not that the day is specifically any more special than any other day in all reality, but in the Christian calendar, what we do is rhythmically we celebrate ideas in the Christian faith. And on Good Friday, we remind ourselves and we stop and a point of focus, our whole culture takes a day off today to focus and to remember the God who entered history in the scandal of historical particularity. And the God who comes with the, the honey of His Spirit and the soothing wine of His presence and, and the grace of the gospel and the warming love of His sacrifice to say, you haven't found what you're looking for? Well, I am the God who seeks and I am the God who finds and I'm looking and I'm seeking. And when you turn up to the God of heaven, He says, I found what I'm looking for. And when we say yes to the gospel message and when our hearts reach out to connect with the sacrifice of Jesus, the God of heaven says, I found what I'm looking for. I am the shepherd who came to seek the lost sheep. I am the shepherd who said, I'll even leave the 99 and go after the one. And I look around this room today, friends, and those watching online, welcome. And I see a whole room full of ones. That the God of heaven in the scandal of historical particularity came to seek and when Jesus was roundly criticised for who he associated with, he says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, you know. I came to call those who need redemption. And on Good Friday, we stop. I've been doing this now for 20 years because 20 years ago, I was a hopeless alcoholic, drug addict, bounded trauma, shame, depression, self-loathing, hated myself, hated life and wanted to die. And I... You know, we sometimes say, I found Jesus. But the thing is, the scriptures tell us, actually, we don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a sheep without a shepherd. I was broken. I was lost. And Jesus Christ reached out to me in his sacrifice and in his death and in his resurrection power that we will be back to celebrate on Sunday. That death that was a sacrifice and a substitute for my sin 
and for my brokenness and for my shame and for my pain. He was pierced for my transgressions. He was pierced for your transgressions, friends. Why? To bring us closer to the God of heaven. If I could get in a spaceship and speed up past the speed of light, I would see all of human history with a God's eye view. I would look back and see every event happening in time and space compressed into one eternal now. Just think about that because God is in that eternal now, now. And from the perspective of the eternal now, Jesus is hanging on that cross now. And in the wonder of the Godhead, Jesus' sacrifice can reach out through time and through space, which he is not subject to and not limited to. And he can reach out and the power of his sacrifice can reach us where we stand today. Where I wake up tomorrow, where I lay down tonight, the sacrifice of Jesus can reach me. In the eternal now, Jesus is saying, like he said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in the eternal now, Jesus' word for forgiveness stretches toward us right now. Those powerful words which we'll read on Sunday morning when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dying with his last breath, it is finished. The opening and the closing lines from Psalm 22. Jesus dying with the word of God on his lips, the word of God coming out of his heart, the word of God that says his sacrifice is so much more than a tragic martyrdom. And in the eternal now, Jesus is reaching out to us. He gave us one way to remember his death. He took a piece of bread and he broke it. And as he ripped that bread in half, he said, this is my body. (laughs) Broken for you. Take this and eat it in remembrance of me. The Jewish people that follow Jesus today, the Messianic Jews, the, the Jews who have found Christ, Every year they still celebrate the Passover meal with a seder plate. And on that seder plate, or at that meal I should say, is present a matzotosh, a linen bag with three pockets. Inside that bag with three pockets are three pieces of bread, one in each pocket. For hundreds of years the Jewish people have argued about the interpretation. Why do we even do this? Have you ever wondered that? (laughs) Why do we do this again? Some say it represents the law, the prophets, and the wisdom literature. Some say it represents justice and wisdom and then the ceremonial law. There's all sorts. Some say it represents David and Solomon and Isaiah. There's a, there's a, a range of conflicting views about what does the matzotosh, the three-pocketed bag, and the three pieces of bread represent. But the Jews, the Messianic Jews that follow Jesus, they say this matzotosh, the three pieces of bread, represent the triune God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what is fascinating is that for hundreds of years, it goes so far back, we don't know when it began. But for hundreds of years at the Passover meal, in the middle of the Passover meal, the host of the feast will pick up the three-pocketed bag, the matzotosh, and remove from the bag the middle piece of bread, which to the Messianic Jews symbolizes the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. To the Jews, whether they're Messianic or not, that celebrate the Passover, that middle bread stands in as representation for the sacrificial lamb. And the host holds that piece of bread up. That bread has been baked on a rack. And because of the baking process, it has vertical stripes. And so it doesn't crack or rise too much when it's been baked because it must be unleavened bread according to the book of Exodus. It is pierced through. 
and the host of the home holds up the middle piece of bread that has stripes, that has been pierced, that represents the sacrificial lamb sacrificed at Passover to the Jewish people. And it is broken in half. It is then taken and it is wrapped in a piece of linen and it is hidden away from sight. At some point during the meal, the youngest around the table will be excused to go on the treasure hunt. Go and find the broken, pierced bread with stripes. Go and find the bread that was broken in the feast. The bread that represents the lamb that has been sacrificed, that is now hidden away, wrapped in linen. Go and find that bread and return it to us. And of course, a little search party happens and the youngest will normally be the one. They don't hide it too difficultly. The youngest will be the first one to find it. It's so fascinating because the Apostle John was the youngest to find Jesus, the bread of life, buried in a tomb, but he didn't find the body of Jesus. He only found the linen from where Jesus had lain. And the youngest will bring the bread back to the table and then it is broken again and distributed among the guests. And the Messianic Jews from the land of Israel today, they interpret that as the middle piece of bread, the second person of the Trinity. It's called the Afikomen. Afikoman from a Greek word which means the one that is to come. A a piece of bread that symbolizes the Messiah. And the Jewish Messianic Jews celebrate Jesus in the Passover when they break that bread. And they say to us, friends, when Jesus broke bread and distributed it to his disciples at the Last Supper, it was that Afikoman piece of bread that he held up and broke. Symbolizing what Isaiah said, that he will be pierced for our transgressions and by his stripes we will be healed. Imagine Jesus holding up that piece of matzo bread, unleavened flat bread, pierced, striped, ripping in half. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's powerful, isn't it? Wrapped in linen like the body of Jesus was, hidden away in a tomb like the Afikomen is, and then brought back out of the tomb by the youngest so that it can be distributed in a life-giving fashion, Jesus, the bread of life. And we learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters that follow Jesus, the powerful symbolism of what Jesus did that night when he broke that bread and said, this is my sacrifice for you. I'm the Lamb of God. And today we're going to close our service. And I hope you've been blessed and I hope you've been inspired and I hope you've been moved as we've reflected together on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, knowing that in the eternal now, God reaches out to us. In the eternal now, the sacrifice of Jesus and its beneficent properties stretch toward us so we're going to close by removing the piece of bread which you can do now Imagine as you hold this piece of bread in your hand, Jesus breaking it. This is my body broken for you. Why don't we take and eat this bread together this morning? Let's take the cup. In the Passover meal, the cup that was drunk after the Afikoman had been distributed was called the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption 
symbolizes the blood of the sacrifice which cleanses the sins of the people. And Jesus took that cup, that cup of redemption, and he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you in a new covenant. Remember, God had promised that the way he would be in covenant relationship with humans was not through law written on stones and tablets of stone, but through law written in human hearts. Law meaning not rules and regulations. Law meaning holy Torah. Torah. Torah is the Hebrew word which means instruction. Jesus said, this is my blood that stands in for that new covenant where I am going to write my instruction on your heart through the gospel. Come on, why don't we drink the cup together this morning? If you'd like to, you can pass your cups to the end of your row, and I'm sure someone on either one of those ends on the aisle will be there to helpfully collect them. We'll have a team coming around in a moment to receive those. And while that's happening, why don't we pray? And as we pray, if you're comfortable, why don't you lift your hands out to heaven? It's an ancient practice that the people of God have done for thousands of years. The lifting of the hands in Christian worship symbolizes surrender, symbolizes I'm holding nothing back, symbolizes allegiance and loyalty. Why don't we just bask for a second in the sacrifice of Jesus? And why don't we bask for a moment in the love and the life of Jesus, wherever you stand, my friend, in the eternal now, Jesus is dying on the cross for you. Jesus is seeking for you. Jesus is the good shepherd looking for you. And I pray in this room, I pray for you, my friend, my brother, my sister, man, woman and child under the sound of my voice. I pray that your heart would be responsive to the gospel. I pray that your heart would be responsive to the offer of the eternal sacrifice, the sacrifice that was once and for all the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that every single one of us must say yes to the gospel message and one day we'll stand before God. He'll ask of us an answer, something similar to this question. Did you ever have a time where you drew a line in the sand of your life and said, God of the universe, no matter where I'm going to, no matter where I'm coming from, today my answer is yes to the gospel message and I want to say yes to your wonderful sacrifice, Jesus. I want to say yes to the offer of forgiveness. I want to say yes to entering into the new creation that you birthed through your death and resurrection. I want to say yes to being a child of God. I want to say yes to being a follower of Jesus. I want to say yes to be someone for whom the power of the cross of Calvary is reflected in my life, in sacrifice and in redemption and in salvation. Well, the Bible says that every single one of us must have a time where we turn to God. It's called repentance. We draw that line in the sand of our life and we cross over it. We say, God, make me your child. And I wonder in this place this morning, if all of us in our hearts just say, God, in a fresh way, or maybe for the first time ever, maybe for some of us in the first time in, in a long, long time. But wouldn't it be great if every single one of us, if God right now, searching hearts and minds throughout this room, sees every heart saying, God, my answer is yes to the gospel message. In your own words, why don't you just respond to God? Thank you for your death. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on my behalf. Thank you for the offer of life that you bring. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for that terrible price you paid so I could be brought near to God. I pray for you, my friend. The author to the Chronicles tells us that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is Googling planet earth. And I pray when God Googles planet earth, people whose hearts are committed to me, 
you know what? I pray your name comes up today, friend. And not because you're performing for God, not because you're earning something for God, but because you're receiving a gift, a gift of grace, a gift of relationship, a gift of salvation, a God that says, I don't want you to be far from me. I don't want to be a stranger to you or a religious concept or something dusty and dry. I want to be a pipeline of life, a pipeline of eternal life. I want you to embrace me and live with me in the eternal now, not just now, but forever. I pray for you, my friend, in Jesus' name, that you would know the wonder and the joy of God. I pray you would know the wonder and the joy of Jesus and the wonder and joy of fellowship in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to close by singing the song, but before we do that, let me just say this. If we ever met before, my name's Ben Teefee. It's my great joy to be the lead pastor of this church. Welcome to our uh, Good Friday service. Did you have a good time? It was pretty special, wasn't it? And uh, it would be remiss if we didn't say thank you to all of the people who made today's service happen, our singers, musicians, our production people, and our technical boffins. So why don't we just say thank you to them? Thank you, gang. Fabulous job, you guys. Fabulous job. Thank you. And we really appreciate that you were here with us. We will be celebrating the absolute icing on the cake in this story on Sunday morning together, Resurrection Sunday. Just a reminder that you do need to register. And there won't be a Sunday night service this Sunday. We want you to go and spend time with family and do all sorts of stuff. So uh, we're celebrating now and on Sunday morning. But as we go, before we go, why don't we fill this place one more time with praise to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great rest of your day and we'll see you.